0: to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And Brenna, we are back to a namesake episode. We're
1: going back into the arena, folks.
0: <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> Do you have your ceremonial outfit ready to be burned off?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, by the way, CGI. not Not a huge improvement considering the budget.
0: Ah, you mean double the budget from the first film? <laughs> Folks, we are talking about Catching Fire, the Suzanne Collins book, as well as the Francis Lawrence adaptation.
1: This, of course, is volume number two of the Hunger Games series.
0: hmm Can't even call it a trilogy anymore. You can't
1: even call it a trilogy anymore. In fact, that is at least part of the reason why Joe is making me do this, is that... <laughs>
0: Oh, the hardship posting huh? of making you re <laughs> catching fire.
1: Uh, because the prequel comes out next week, Joe? No, it
0: comes out today. today oh, it comes out and today. And we will be discussing wow. it next week.
1: This is some timely content. Yes. Yes. So yeah, so we're getting kind of excited, ready. <laughs>
0: Question mark.
1: <laughs> As you've heard on the show, I'm feeling quite ambivalent would be like generous way to talk about the prequel and I am a little bit burnt out in general. I did enjoy the experience of reading this one. I listened to it on
0: audiobook this time. Yes I'm very interested to hear about that experience because I've actually only ever listened to one audiobook and it was Call Me By Your Name and it was enjoyable but it also takes for what seems like ever.
1: Yes so my first thing I need to disclose is that I listen to audiobooks at 1.25 times speed.
0: Oh, okay. Yep, that's a strategy.
1: I find it helps because I really don't need the long pauses because... They make me nuts. I'd rather people speak at a normal speed, so
0: (laughs) Which is funny because I thought you were just doing what you and I normally do on this here podcast. We take (laughs) extra long breaks to make sure we compose our thoughts.
1: (laughs) No, I so I listened to it at 1.5 times, which cuts down on the on how long it takes. But I also made the choice this time because I am stressed and working long hours and in need of downtime. Mm -hmm. And so as we talked about the last few books, I really got myself backed into a corner reading them in time because of Animal Crossing. And so I play (laughs) Animal Crossing instead of reading. But with an audiobook, I can play Animal
0: Crossing while reading. I am super impressed with your ability to multitask. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm slightly nervous about just how much Animal Crossing you might be (laughs) playing.
1: A real bummer for me is that I can only play in the evening like after kiddo has gone down a because I really don't need him to know how much time I could spend playing video games left to my own devices uh, right. when I'm trying to limit his screen time and mm-hmm. B I'm either working or I'm looking after him the rest of the day so my <laughs> I'm constantly annoyed that the store in Animal Crossing closes at 10 p.m.
0: <laughs> Rude.
1: Frequently don't get on in time to go and check out the store. Yeah, but it was really nice. I think it gave me the a way to work through a text for the show without feeling a lot of stress about it. I gave myself tons right. of time. I started two weeks ago listening to the audiobook and just, you know, plotted away like a play, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes before bed most nights. So this gave me a way to do that without screwing over the show i guess
0: (laughs) and don't think i don't appreciate it anything that you can do to make sure that your life is easier while also still making sure you have something to contribute when we do record (laughs) i like it
1: so yeah i didn't love every choice the narrator made and some of it it would be unfair to even comment upon when one is listening at 1.25 times speed you can't really like accurately judge all of the sort of theatrical choices that are made And I know there are people who are much better critics of audiobooks than me who have lots of interesting things to say about production and and all that kind of stuff. And I will just say that this was a choice I made for convenience and it really worked out well.
0: Excellent. I (laughs) applaud it. I actually read a hardcover book (gasps) because I own this. (laughs) Oh, cool. Yeah. It was actually very enjoyable to have that tactile sensation Mm -hmm. because we've gone for many, many weeks now without actually having a physical book that I can read for the show. So I I quite like that.
1: Listeners know our libraries are closed. And so we've been relying on ebooks from the library. This was an audiobook from the library that I got. And I think that, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's funny, I'm actually starting to very slowly in like 15 minute chunks, read other books again. Yeah. There is something really nice when you spend all day in video conferences finding 15 minutes in the day to curl up with like a paper book and just have a tactile physical experience. Really Mm -hmm. have been appreciating that lately.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: You want the plot? Do you want the plot?
0: Yeah. Why don't we dive into this? So (laughs) where do we find our heroes when we resume the Hunger Games trilogy?
1: Okay. I had this whole plan today, Joe, that I was going to come on and you were going to be like, okay, and what's Catching Fire about? And I was going to be like, it's the exact same plot, Joe. <laughs> but it's not. That's but not But I'm going to be fair. more generous than that. I did find the return to the arena a little yeah. bit uh, exhaustingly deja vu.
0: It really is. It caught me by surprise how much, because the first time I read this book, I was missing the arena component in the first half. Mm. And this time it was the exact opposite. I was very much here for the uprising, the talk of rebellion. Yes. Getting a sense of what's happening in the larger world. And then when you get into the arena, you're like, oh, welcome back (laughs) to been here, done this.
1: Yes. I did feel that strongly. And I think it's a strength that the book has on the film that you Mm -hmm. get so much of the rebellion, the backstory, the lead up, and comparatively so little of the arena in the book. Yes for me, was a strength this time. So the book picks up, you know, just about a year after the previous Hunger Games. Or I guess I guess we're half a year, right? Because it's the Victor's half Tour. So yeah. we're half a year on. And Katniss and Pita are living in the Victor's Village. But otherwise, life in District 12 is much the same as it was for everyone else. Mm-hmm. In fact, things are getting harder as time progresses um so when the book opens you know Katniss is still hunting mostly for fun but also to support Gale's family her own family is well looked after with her victors winnings and she and Peeta are sort of barely on speaking terms yeah they're not really connected and Peeta's feeling quite hurt still from the way he discovered she didn't really Katniss didn't really love him him at the end of the last book and Katniss being Katniss and having sort of this complex history of trauma and difficulty with feelings (laughs) she's never actually talked to Peeta about it so they're just living like 25 feet from each other
0: (laughs) but not talking but not Not interacting well done Katniss (laughs) sounds real bad yeah
1: And the problem is that the victory tour is about to start. And so PETA and Katniss are expected to present themselves in each district to say a few words about the people who died and to present themselves as wildly in love. And Mm -hmm. they're not ready for that at all. Everything gets kind of thrown into relief by the fact that President Snow actually visits Katniss at the very beginning of the book, and he lets her know that she is being seen as something of a rebellious figure because of the way she outsmarted the games, Mm -hmm. and that people in the Capitol might be soft enough to think that she and Peeta are in love, but nobody else believes it, and if she can't sell that narrative, there are going to be consequences. Mostly her whole family and Gale will be killed. Yes. This is made worse by the fact that Snow has video of her macking on Gale
0: in the woods. I mean... She's, like, a high-profile figure, and it never occurs to her that she might be being monitored at all (laughs) times. She's a high-profile
1: figure in a dystopian surveillance state, (laughs) and she's like, people are watching me? What?
0: (laughs) I won't lie, there are several moments in this narrative, and I think you properly contextualized it by suggesting that she is suffering from some fairly significant trauma and PTSD throughout Mm. this text, But holy mother, there are a couple times where I'm like, Katniss, what is going on in that noggin? You are acting like a fool right now.
1: And I will say that, again, Suzanne Collins does a really good job of being in Katniss's head. Mm -hmm. Sometimes to the detriment of us understanding the rest of the characters. Yes. Katniss is not able to acknowledge that PETA also has trauma, that PETA also murdered people, and like (laughs) probably has some feelings about that it just seems to never occur to her it's Mm -mm. so bizarre it is and it's simultaneously very effective at painting the reality of this experience for Katniss and extremely frustrating as a reader who would very much like to hear more about the interior lives of these other characters like you know what book i wish was a prequel here or like another book i want prim's story you want to talk about Uh, someone who must be steeped in drama
0: (laughs) right (laughs)
1: Prim! Oh my god, Prim! Prim being Katniss's sister, if you're not familiar with the series. Anyway, I don't want to belabor this. They spend a lengthy time going through this Victor's tour, and what happens is that Katniss never discloses to Peta that President Snow has visited her, and that this threat has been uttered. Which again, like Katniss! Yes what are you thinking he has a family too and so PETA being PETA being good with words um, being generally a really good person which this Mm -hmm. book goes to great pains to demonstrate to us over and over again
0: doubles down
1: yeah it really doubles down on the on the PETA is very good front and I think definitely something the film doesn't spend the same kind of energy on and so is sometimes a confusing Mm. sort of distraction in the film but we'll get there So, PETA does things like he offers part of his winnings to the District 11 families. So that's Rue and Thresh who died. And. That, Which is
0: great, except it looks, again, like you're going against the capital. <laughs>
1: yes, it's like, it's not something he would have done if he had known they were being watched in that kind of way. So anyway, as they go on this victor's tour, it's very clear that Rebellion is being incited basically everywhere they go, and that people are looking to Katniss to be this symbol, and she's trying to play the capital's game to keep her family safe, and so she's really just disappointing these people who are looking for this rebellious yeah. figure, so she can't win on either side. No. And once PETA understands the circumstances, he tries to do most of the talking for her so that she's sort of in the less difficult position, but it's still really awful. They see people getting beaten. They see people getting hauled off and killed. Like Mm -hmm. they see horrifying things. And what's interesting about that is it's really significant to Effie's character as a representative of the Capitol who loves these two, who Mm -hmm. begins to become radicalized as she sees what the Capitol is doing in the districts.
0: Uh, I would argue that she's actually more radicalized in the film than the books. I was disappointed in my conflation of the two texts. Mm. So that when I was reading the book, I, I felt like Effie was still the very slight, very almost stupid, very vacuous character that I remember her being in the first book.
1: I think it lasts longer in the book for sure than in the film. But I think by the end of the Victor's Tour, or not at the end of the Victor's Tour, actually, I should say, when they find out that Katniss and Peeta are going back into the arena, I think that is sort of, yes. for Effie, a, a transitional moment. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens at the end of the Victor's Tour when it's clear that Katniss hasn't managed to quell the Rebellion How she was supposed to do that, not clear to me.
0: (laughs) Apparently, love and wedding gowns was supposed to win (laughs) the day. And it, shockingly enough, doesn't work when people are starving and angry.
1: Yes. So President Snow decides that he's sending two victors from each district back into the arena. Unsurprisingly, it has to be Katniss. She's the female victor. And unsurprisingly, even though Haymitch is picked, Peeta volunteers so that he can go with her and keep her safe. Naturally. She believes that she is setting parameters with Hamish that PETA is going to be the one that they keep safe. But obviously, that's not what's happening. And behind the scenes, there's a big effort to protect Katniss, at least half of the, what's the word for them?
0: We can call them contestants, I guess. Yeah,
1: there's a word, though. Why can't I think of it? It doesn't matter. Anyway, at least half of the people in the arena are in on it, and they're willing to give up their lives for Katniss because of her symbolic significance to the possibility of rebellion that's breaking out throughout yes. the districts.
0: But of course, we don't know any of this because Katniss doesn't know it, so yes. it only gets revealed in like the last 10 pages of the yes. book. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> Once you understand it, then the rest of the book suddenly makes sense because otherwise the arena is really confusing. Like, I found it both okay this is happening all over again and also because katniss doesn't understand people's motivations she is often very confused and because we live in her head we are often very confused as to why people are behaving the way that they are but anyway regardless (laughs) they managed to outsmart the simulation once again they're rescued but peta is still in the Capitol. katniss is safely on her way to district 13 which ps exists the end
0: (laughs) oh and also district 12 has been completely destroyed. oh
1: yeah And Gale has been rescued, and Katniss's family is somewhere, but they're safe, but they're somewhere.
0: Yeah, we don't have any kind of indication, and we end on a (gasps) giant cliffhanger, which is very Empire Strikes Back
1: to me. It's very Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. I think that the strength of this book is the political stuff, and the weakness of this book is the rehashing of the arena all over again.
0: Yeah, I agree with you completely. I would have said something different if we had talked about this even probably six months ago. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that the political stuff, because we're always reading this from Katniss's perspective, and she doesn't always have a great handle on it, Mm -hmm. it's almost easy to miss. Which sounds ridiculous when you read the book and you're paying attention to it, because it's everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? It's in the way that peacekeepers descend on District 12, and suddenly, when she is seen as more of a threat, everybody's life just gets clamped down upon. Yeah. You know, it's in the meeting with these characters, Bonnie and Twill, that she encounters on the other side of the fence, who talk about their search for District 13 and how it maybe exists, and how they have escaped from another district. I think it's eight. And it's because there was a rebellion where they burnt up a factory, and all of these little moments really shine. Mm -hmm. But it's easy to just read it as Katniss has a weird adventure on the other side of the fence, and then she injures her foot. Or like, oh, Gale got beaten and flogged, and she discovered that she actually has feelings. I think one of the things that struck me is, and I didn't have chance to go back and re-listen to our first episode on The Hunger Games where we chatted with Alex, but I almost found the very YA love affair here mm-hmm. to be frustrating, if only because it's actually taking away from the more interesting political rebellion stuff. Strong agree. But I will say that I actually feel like we get a better hint of not just what makes Katniss work, but also how all these other people are surviving in the wake of what has happened in the aftermath of the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Like, I really, really liked getting a broadening of the world. Like, I actually have a better sense of how the districts function and what their issues are as a result of this film. But even stuff like the way that the games evolve and ruin people's lives in an intergenerational way like when we find out that her mom had a friend who was picked during Hamish's year
1: yes that
0: was so fascinating to me and all I could think of was why isn't that the prequel that we're getting yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) I must have thought that 50 times Right. During the history sections, there's so many people's stories that are more interesting than at least what the blurb for the prequel is, which if you haven't heard us talk about it before, it's set at the 10th Hunger Games.
0: Yes, and it concerns President Snow, who at <sighs> the time I gather is not president. He's just a mentor from District 1. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he maybe falls in love with the girl that he's mentoring who is going into the arena. So I'm actually very intrigued by that element because- I think there's a lot of potential in the idea of exploring what the games play out like from a mentor's perspective. Of course, we've never gotten to see that because we're always with Katniss, who's in the arena. So we never get to see what Hamish is actually doing behind these scenes. So that's why I'm intrigued.
1: I'm intrigued also by the idea of President Snow not being of the Capitol, because that's Mm -hmm. never really
0: been alluded to before. Has it? No. He's always been President Snow for as long as he's ever been referenced. Yeah. We know nothing about his backstory. I'm less interested in this idea that he might be a secret hero who is then corrupted and turned Mm. to the dark side, again, with the Star Wars (gasps) references. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're telling some fairly large stories, but I think we're also telling fairly familiar narrative structures, right? Like These are not new tales, but Suzanne Collins is telling them in a unique fashion.
1: Yeah, she is. That's fair. And I think I really don't care about the love story between Gail and PETA and Katniss. Like, I, you know, every time she's in the arena.
0: Where's PETA? PETA needs to be protected. Oh my God. Is he injured? Is he dead? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah.
1: And whenever she's sort of moved by PETA's kindness, this thing where she has to immediately flash back to Gail is just so. Mm. I find it exhausting. I've often said I'm team. PETA if, if you have to pick and my reasoning for that is that if the trauma narrative is to be believed then there is no peaceful life for her with Gail no he can never know what she has survived and mm-hmm. the only person who can like unless she's going to marry Hamish the only person who can really understand and that and the seed for that really gets planted in this book because all of the victors are so traumatized yes. that for all of the victors almost all of their lasting relationships are with other victors like mm-hmm. the only way you can really survive outside of the arena after this horrific experience is to bond to people who have also survived this horrific experience um at least for everybody who's not a career right so from right. anybody from districts three and down mm-hmm And so for that reason, because actually Suzanne Collins does such, for me, a very persuasive job of that conversation about trauma and um, what it means to survive an experience like this, I lose all interest in Gail. Like, (laughs) entirely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like what we've uncovered is the limitations of a first-person narrator, particularly a teenager who's, mm -hmm. you know struggling with hormones like any normal teenager would but in Mm -hmm. this case is also processing trauma to a degree that no person would ever be able to process Mm -hmm. you know if this were to take place in our world Katniss would have a full-time therapist she Mm -hmm. would probably be out of commission like the idea that she would be a functioning human being six months after the events of what happened in the first book yeah no no and I, I really think we see this like when we eventually get to Mockingjay and we have to talk about that minor drama. Mm-hmm. I do think that that is the strongest element of that book. It doesn't always make for an enjoyable reading experience because you're trapped there with Katniss. Yes. like I think Catching Fire does a good job of balancing the entertainment of advancing the story and telling us more about the world while also making it very clear that Katniss is not okay.
1: Sorry, I don't know what's striking me there. She's not okay. I... <sighs> I wonder if that's part of why the films don't click with me is because.
0: Yeah, we never get to see that. Yeah. We only get to watch her go through it. I mean, yeah, we're not going to talk about the films just yet.
1: No, sorry. <laughs> no,
0: but I, I agree with you. I think that's what works so well is because we're living in Katniss's head and we can really experience how much she's struggling and. I really applaud. I think aside from the world building that we get and how the story takes on aspects that I wouldn't have expected in The Hunger Games, like we get to learn so many interesting details about the world in Catching Fire that I never would have considered. I think it's great in that regard. Mm -hmm. But the other strength is Suzanne Collins is not afraid to make Katniss a bit of a burden in this book. Like, she's not always likable, but she is authentic. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's actually the thing that we talked very frankly about when we were talking about the original Hunger Games is how you know Jennifer Lawrence plays her really well and Katniss feels like a really well-developed, fleshed-out character. But there's something to be said for the number of books that we've read where characters come off and they're very vague and just twee. And if they're unbearable, it feels fabricated for the purposes of the narrative. Here, it's almost like, Katniss's trauma dictates the narrative and that doesn't always make it enjoyable but it never feels like Suzanne Collins is trying to manufacture drama.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah I agree with that I think that's very fair.
0: Okay so how do you feel about the fact that this book is so front-loaded with all of the non-arena stuff and then basically the last hundred pages or so? is a repeat. Like, I know you said Mm. that you don't like the repeat stuff, Mm -hmm. but do you feel like this works as a narrative construct? Mm. Like, why do you think we have to go back into the arena?
1: (laughs) I don't fully understand why we have to go back into the arena. I have to say it doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. It doesn't seem at all strategically wise on Snow's part to take this incredibly beloved figure Mm -hmm. and put her through this again. I mean, I guess maybe it's trying to show that Snow is so blinded by his dislike dislike of of Katniss that he can't actually plan strategically anymore, like he's not capable of it. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't really make sense to me for someone who has masterminded this level of oppression that one, effectively one little girl would undo it all
0: right especially when we learn he's been doing this for upwards of like 30 years
1: yes there have been rebellions before there have been challengers before but i mean it's a ya book and it's a ya dystopia and it's a chosen one narrative so okay mm, sure. but strategically it doesn't make sense to me that this is this is where he goes
0: yeah it's suffering from that classic sequel syndrome where it's also the middle part of a trilogy you know it needs to give you the things that worked in the first story but it needs to do it on a bigger scale. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of myself here. The first time I read Catching Fire, I was completely enamored with it because Mm -hmm. it was giving me the expansion of the world, but it was also allowing me to revisit the thrill, the dangerous thrill of sending people back into an arena and watching them get killed. Right. That is classic action movie trope right Right. there. Mm -hmm. We've seen it done before. We enjoyed it. Why not do it again? Only this time we don't have to feel so bad about it because it's not kids. Right. So we can actually get a little more gruesome. But in execution, I think you're right, because we're so focused on Katniss's attempt to save Peta. What it often ends up becoming is this rote redo. And it's less compelling because we don't even get the satisfaction of a win. It's mm-hmm. more about a secret uprising that we're not privy to. And it comes off as very confused.
1: It's a very unsatisfying cliffhanger. Like it cliffhangers really is. don't have to be unsatisfying, you know. You can have a cliffhanger that makes you excited to reengage with the world. This cliffhanger mm-hmm. is just like, I'm going to stop it here because I got a three book book deal. <laughs>
0: A little bit, yeah. You know? And to clarify, I like the cliffhanger that District 12 has been destroyed. And we sure. don't know the details of that. But the whole shoot something into the force field, things blow up, I get pulled out, I try to repeatedly die by suicide by banging my head against my confinement mm-hmm. and maybe injecting myself with something. Like, no, 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 no thank you.
1: No, it's too much and it goes on too long. And Oh my
0: gosh, it goes on forever.
1: And there's not enough re- resolution. Like, there are... I don't think there's a single component of this story that is satisfyingly resolved. So we don't know where Peta is. We know abstractly that Prim and her mum are safe, but we don't know anything about it. We don't know why District 12 has been destroyed or what happened. Like, we don't know anything about that. Mm -hmm. We know that Gail is part of the resistance, which seems...
0: Question mark. (laughs) I mean, we had gotten glimmers... Because he didn't want to run away with her, he wanted to stay in a fight, fight. But we've had no interactions with him no. in like 120 pages at this point. So we have no idea. He's just like magically there.
1: I guess he's an ally of Hamish, but we've never seen them have a conversation with each no. other. Mm-mm. Blutarch just knew to bring him in. But why? Like, I have, I have just infinite questions about why Gail is on that airplane.
0: <laughs>
1: um, but that is also unresolved. What's going to happen next? Like, it's this huge cliffhanger of like, will there even be a District 13 when they get there? Like, I needed one of those plot lines to be
0: going somewhere. I think if nothing else, it negated all of the activity in the arena. So the stuff where she finds out that she's been a bit of Hamish's pawn and that Plutarch is in on it, I was fine with all of that. I actually didn't mind the questions about whether there's a District 13 and really what happened because it's very clear that we will find out in the final book. Mm -hmm. So I was okay with those cliffhangers, but it really suggested virtually everything that happened in the arena was just to keep her alive and then get her out. And I just thought, okay, well, why? Didn't we execute it so that she didn't even go in at all? In the world of the book, they had all of those months yeah the announcement of the Quarter Quell, where she had time to train with mm-hmm. Hamish and Peta, where you know she did all of these things, and like she settles her account and then she gets called and sent away on the train. I just thought, well, why wouldn't you have executed something then? Ben. Oh, it's because we needed to return to the arena so we could do a few more murders.
1: Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. Like it doesn't make narrative sense. Otherwise, it doesn't have a purpose. And as you rightly point out, it has no lasting consequence.
0: No. And I think that's what frustrates me is because I could have dealt with it if it was handled more expeditiously, like she gets into the arena, and they're not there for very long. But instead, we have all of this mass confusion about, oh, who can I trust and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what, ultimately, I don't really care. And the third book, not to jump ahead, actually just readdresses all of that stuff like it confirms who we can and cannot trust so we don't need this groundwork like i almost would have preferred it if we had to spend more time being introduced to characters like Finnick and Joanna and BT in other capacities so that we could get a better sense of who they are like i understand it probably wouldn't be as narratively compelling and yet this does them a bit of a disservice
1: i agree completely i agree completely Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you could have just completely extracted those 100 pages in the arena and not changed anything about the narrative. I don't even think it adds to to, um, Katniss's trauma narrative. No. I don't even think it adds to the love story with Peta.
0: You could have had an inciting incident where she's still in District 12 and something happens and Peta is abducted. Yes. And the outcome would still be the same, more or less.
1: Yeah, like what if they're getting ready for the wedding that they announce on the Victor's tour and yeah, he's kidnapped and taken to the capital and she doesn't know if he's going to survive. And the question is like, does she go and rescue, try to rescue him or does she stay with Gail and fight the rebellion, right? Like, boom, Mm -hmm. we're in the same spot. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like Hita's character, once again, gets kind of short shrift. (laughs) Like the extent to which he is exclusively a burden. Mm -hmm. in this book even more so than the last book like in the last book he had skills that she needed to
0: survive right yeah
1: and here he looks like she's in the arena with mr bean or
0: something yeah i mean i was interested to see if your criticisms of ableism were going to come into play because of course in this book pita has lost a leg as a result of the events of the original hunger games so there's just repeated references to what a burden he is oh finnick has to carry him away from the fog and we might like, basically, Mags had to die because Peta couldn't carry himself. He couldn't carry his he own weight. He couldn't
1: carry his own weight. And this is the thing, right? I mean, it's ableism. Like, the only thing that Mags can do in the arena, ultimately, is sacrifice herself for someone else's life. Like, that's why she goes to the
0: arena. Uh, Brenna, she also shows them how to roast nuts. Hello?
1: <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, everybody is, if you aren't young... In this book, you yes. have to prove your worth by sacrificing your body to the capital. Yes. For the
0: rebellion. Is that Suzanne Collins being kind of terrible? Or is that a critique about the value of youth and vitality and how old people in the world of a totalitarian dystopia are basically just fuel for the machine to keep rolling on?
1: Well, and of course, part of the problem is we don't get enough critical distance from any of the things that are being said or choices being made because we're inside Katniss's head to
0: mm-hmm. know
1: if this is a social critique or just everybody's ableist.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And I find that increasingly frustrating in the arena. Like living inside Katniss's head is one thing when the rebellion is in process.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's another thing when we're just back in the arena again.
0: <laughs> back in the arena <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I won't lie. If you take it as a bit of a standalone, like if you can separate this stuff in the arena from the events that preceded it, there's some interesting stuff that happens. Like I like the idea of a clock and how there is a mysterious, destructive element that will play out on the hour every hour. You know, I don't think any of the new characters, particularly the antagonists, once again, they really don't have an opportunity to become fleshed out characters. It's really just, okay, let's kill the careers again. Even all the allies,
1: with maybe the exception of Finnick, are incredibly one note, right?
0: Yeah, this is actually another point of conflation where I was taking the goodwill that I feel towards Jenna Malone from (laughs) the film and placing it onto Joanna in the book because Joanna's terrible yeah as a character she's not at all interesting or enjoyable she's the mean girl she's of the mean catching fire
1: yeah she is and she again suzanne collins has this bad habit of like she's the mean girl through the entire book but because she has sort of this one act where she removes the tracker then she's good right like mm-hmm. we're supposed to hand wave away a lot for folks who are involved in the rebellion Yes. Which, you know, there's an interesting political conversation to be had about that. But from a characterization perspective, it's pretty dull. And, you know, even just the way hmm, the book has this perspective that you show your value as a human being by being useful, like it's your utility that determines your value. Yes. That I find real, real gross. And it's at its worst when we meet, especially the older or the more traumatized than Katniss
0: Oh yeah, the Morphlings?
1: Yes, like the Morphlings. Like Oof. Beattie, like mm-hmm. uh, the woman who does the TikTok. What's her Wiris. name? Virus. Right? Like in all of these cases, these are folks who the only thing we ever get to learn about them is A, they're super weird and traumatized, and B, they have one useful thing.
0: <laughs> That's it. And in the case of Virus, it's almost more disappointing than that because she basically clues Katniss in that it's a clock and then dies.
1: Yep. It's
0: not great no it's not great it's not great <laughs> do you have anything else you want to talk about the book or do you want to move into the comparison with the film
1: let's definitely talk about the movies i want to spend the entire rest of the episode on the baboons so go
0: oh my goodness <laughs> you saved us i know that i can't go on acting for the cameras and then just ignoring each other in real life she's not who they think she is she has to be eliminated I agree, but in the right way At the right time
1: We have to go Before they kill us They will kill us People want to fight
0: I'm staying here They fought very hard in the games, Miss Everdeen But they were games Would you like to be in a real war? Imagine thousands of your people dead Your loved ones Gone
1: What do I need to do?
0: This is the 75th year of The Hunger Games. The tributes are to be reaped from the existing pool of victors. I get to say goodbye. That
1: is. So what do we do? I think these games are going to be different.
0: The 75th Hunger Games! So the film adaptation, of course, comes out in 2013, and we have swapped out Gary Ross. So the director from the first film has been let go. You'll see some people suggest that he was too busy doing post-production on the first film to get started on the next film, which doesn't Mm. make any sense because Francis Lawrence, the new director, will direct all of the subsequent films. Oh, okay. We have two new screenwriters, and interestingly enough, the second film is the most popular in the franchise, so it grosses the most. It has the highest Rotten Tomato rating of all the films, and it gets a lot of the praise for a leaner, meaner screenplay. And I think part of this is that people took note of the fact that Simon Beaufoy. Who is the screenwriter behind the full Monty and the award winning Slumdog Millionaire? Oh. And Michael De who is the Academy Award winner for Little Miss Sunshine and also nominated for Toy Story 3. I think people latched onto this idea that we have prestige screenwriters. Right. And as a result, they feel like the screenplay is better executed and that the film is better directed because it plays like a more conventional action film. Mm-hmm. I don't find that this film is better directed. It is more conventionally directed and the violence, because again, we're talking about adults, Mm -hmm. we can actually show more of the violence. So this is still a PG-13 rated film, same as the first Hunger Games, but we're not blurring any of the violence like we saw in that first film. We're now actually seeing people get stabbed, get shot, bodies carried away and all this stuff.
1: Oh, thank goodness.
0: Yeah, I mean, gosh, what would we have if we didn't have a film for preteens that shows old men getting shot in the head and their bodies getting carried away?
1: I know we've talked about like our social comfort with violence and squick with sex a million times on this show, but it never stopped being confusing to me.
0: Um, I think part of this is much like we talk about with Harry Potter books. Each book gets progressively darker and more adult to reflect the fact that its audience is also getting older with it. I mean,
1: yes, but with Harry Potter, there were like, years between books, whereas these came out, like, 2009, 2010, 2011, pretty much. Or 2008, Mm. 2009, 2010. So, like, how much were we all aging in that space?
0: Yeah, and these movies weren't actually that far apart, if I'm remembering correctly. I think there's, like, two years between most of them, except for, of course, Mockingjay, which is only separated by a year. Right. Okay, well, we'll come back to the violence in a little bit, but our new characters are played by actors. So we've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, who gosh it's hard to see him in movies Mm. now because i miss him a lot i miss him a lot too he is a fantastic addition he plays plutarch and he gets a little bit more because of course we're not inside katniss's heads so we get scenes with him and president snow who's played deliciously by donald sutherland as always we've got jeffrey wright as bt lynn cohen as megs sam claflin who is uh He was the big casting announcement in this film. People were very intrigued to see what Finnick would look like because, of course, he's described as the most gorgeous sun-kissed man in the world. I think they do a pretty decent job with him. And then we've got Jenna Malone, as I mentioned, playing Joanna, and then Amanda Plummer as Wyrus, I'm sure. All of that means something to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so some of the biggest differences between the film and the book, and stop me at any point if you want to talk about these in greater detail, or we can just circle back at the end. In the film, the victory tour ends in the capital as opposed to District 12. So they're not working their way back, Mm -hmm. they're working their way forward, question mark, if you want to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. But it's important because the film really streamlines a lot of the first half of the book. So there's less going somewhere and then coming back and dealing with a little bit. We don't have Katniss trying on dozens of dresses and that kind of stuff. Like everything is really condensed. We don't have any mention of District 13 at all. So there's no bonnier twill. There's no suggestions of meeting people who have escaped from an uprising, which is maybe hand-waved away because we have two Mockingjay films, which can really flesh out what District 13 is Mm -hmm. but if you're reading the book and then watching the movie you're very much like wait what you needed that bit in there (laughs) it's going to become very important later (laughs) so we don't also then have the part where Katniss gets injured climbing over the electrified fence which I think is actually a fine piece to get rid of yeah I don't disagree with that And the other interesting thing, which I really don't understand why they bothered to include it at all in the movie, is that Katniss's pregnancy is mentioned literally once when she is outed by PETA when they're doing the interviews. And then it is never again mentioned, whereas in the book, it is a regular thing where she has to continually pretend to be like, oh, the baby.
1: It makes no sense that they bother to include it in the film and then completely drop it. Like, Mm -hmm. less than no sense. I mean, in the film, it's used as sort of the incitement for the crowd to become enraged. Yes. But then they never talk about it again. No. What I like about it in the book is, you know, we talked in our first episode about the question of whether or not PETA is manipulative. Right. And... I'm fascinated by the way that scene unfolds in the book because mm-hmm. Peter doesn't tell her ahead of time but no. he immediately afterwards apologizes to her and he says I'm sorry I put you in that position for not like not telling you ahead of time and she says I actually found it kind of empowering and it's a really interesting change in their dynamic where he yes. drives for a half second <laughs> and I I really like this idea of her fake pregnancy as being not um something she views as like a burdensome lie she has to keep up, but something that allows her to imagine herself into a different body that is in some way empowering for her. Yeah. As someone who has been pregnant, I I like that way of reading it.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I see it from my perspective. You know, she's an established, very poor liar. Like, Mm -hmm. that's why people can't tell her anything. And it's repeatedly used as an excuse to not tell her things, which is excessively annoying it is annoying although my
1: favorite line my favorite Hamish line in the whole second book is this is why no one lets you make the plans
0: right yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's true her plans are consistently terribly bad
0: yes but in this case it's actually one of the few cases in the first two books where she is able to convincingly tell the lie and i think part of it is that she sees the utility and the functionality of it so It's her proving if she is made to see the value of it, then she can convincingly deliver on it. And I think it's something that does anticipate the role she'll take on in Mockingjay and also forecast what's to come with the introduction of the new sort of anti-Snow totalitarian leader that will meet in that book. Yes. But it is such a weird decision. Like, you can tell that it's very much, okay, this is a significant plot point in the book that we need to adapt into the film, but then also it doesn't serve our interests after that fact, and let's just not address it as a result.
1: It is weird. It's just weird.
0: It's a utility decision that doesn't make sense when you think about it. Like, it almost plays out like they're hoping that we will forget about it.
1: Oh, I did forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) I totally forgot about it. It wasn't until I got to the end of the movie that I was like, Wait Wait a minute.
0: <laughs> so it worked in that perspective. I guess.
1: Like, there are so many quiet ways to have continued on that conversation. Like, just simply in the way Katniss has to remember to carry herself, to put a hand to her stomach. Like, there are all these moments in the book that are very quiet. They would not require anything of the film to enact. Mm-hmm. And I like the way she's like, huh, I wonder if I can manipulate pregnant women in the Capitol to send me food. <laughs> right? right. So, like... There's so many ways in which it could have been quietly and subtly continued on, at least enough to not be weird, Mm -hmm. that I'm surprised they didn't just do
0: that. Well, okay, so this is fascinating. This is a tangent I was not expecting us to embark upon when I was thinking how this episode might go. Let's (laughs) talk about this. Do you feel like there is a lack of distinction in the portrayal of men and women's bodies in these texts? Because now that I'm thinking about it, you know, we've often talked about how valuable it is that characters seem to have their own individual characteristics. Like we talked about how valuable having a voice is that is distinct from other characters. And we don't get that in these books because, of course, we're always just hearing Katniss's voice and it's always interpreted or filtered through her perspective. But the films don't have that. So we're allowed to be presented with different perspectives, but then also different experiences. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the ageism that we've seen. Mm -hmm. But I would also argue that a weird byproduct of the time that we spend in the arena is that male and female bodies, even though they are considered vitally important, because, of course, we have to have one male and one female Mm -hmm. from each district, become almost obsolete. Like, there is no sexuality. no, Particularly in this book, where there is no coercion based on sexuality, even though Joanna is presented as a sexualized figure because she disrobes that upon first confusing. meeting them. That scene is
1: confusing. What is that for?
0: Who is that for? Who
1: is that for? What is that for? So there's a scene, if you haven't seen the film, where Joanna gets in the elevator with Haymitch, Katniss, and Peta, faces Peta, and takes off all her
0: clothes. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why she does that. In the loosest of senses. I always took it to be a commentary on how emboldened she is. Like She does not give a F. She doesn't care if people see her body. She doesn't care who thinks that she is forthright, that she is maybe overtly, aggressively sexual. I will say, like, I don't know that it works. I don't know that we need it. I love Jenna Malone's performance Mm -hmm. in that particular scene. And if you do have the opportunity to revisit it, I strongly encourage you to go back and look at Jennifer Lawrence's facial expressions as she is doing it because it is chef's kiss perfect <laughs> jennifer lawrence is killing the scene it is hilarious to watch
1: i just don't like i i just don't i mean okay so she's willing to be what in control of her own body Mm-hmm. okay to what end in that scene does she experience pleasure from that that's not clear to me
0: um i wonder if it's her leading into an alliance like if she can woo Peta in such a way that he might see her as a valuable ally because he is interested or attracted to her
1: it's extremely generous joe there's absolutely nothing in that
0: in the book, it's it's made fairly clear that Finnick and Joanna have used their sexuality to profit in the aftermath of the games. Yes. I mean, in the
1: film, there's no
0: no rationale for what's happening there. Oh, no, because the film doesn't have time for anybody except Katniss and Peta. Yeah. I think that's actually one of my biggest issues with the film. It's like we stunt cast it with all of these amazing actors. Mm-hmm. We can't be bothered to give them anything to do.
1: No. Agreed.
0: And I think part of that is because we spend too much time in the arena in the film.
1: Yes, we do. We spend way too much time in the arena in the film. If you think about it, it's about a quarter of the book, and it's easily eight-tenths of the film.
0: (laughs) I think maybe it's just over half.
1: It's got to be more than half. (laughs) I'm counting the training as part of the arena.
0: Okay, fair. Yeah. Which, again... Why are they ranked?
1: Why are they ranked? Why do they have to show their skills to these judges? I don't
0: understand it. (laughs) Why is any of
1: this happening?
0: (laughs) This this was the kind of thing where I was just like, is this just to put in a bit more action? I don't understand. Like, even in the book, it doesn't make any sense at all. In the book, it's extremely exhausting because
1: we've just spent literally 25 pages watching footage of the games that Mm -hmm. all of these contenders were in. And then we have to train with them to find out what they're
0: capable of? Question mark? Hello. Welcome back to (laughs) Can I Get an Editor in Here? Yeah, it's so true. Why do we need these in here again? Like in the film, it makes more sense because we never see them reviewing footage. Exactly. Yeah. So we need to know who these people are. Well... Ideally, we should know who these people are because we're going to care about their life and death struggle. But of course, in the end, it's just like wave, blood, rain, monkeys, yep. dead, cannon fire. Yeah, <laughs> I do love how in the book it's like here's Hamish's oldest friend from District Eleven, and in the film it's like day one, this dude's dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh. From a purely action movie standpoint, I do think that all of the stuff in the arena is exciting to watch, and it's filled to the brim with action. There's just constantly mist and monkeys and various things happening that keep your attention but
1: and fully half of them look believable
0: mm, mm. the monkeys the monkeys are so and the bad birds so bad this franchise does not have a good history with animals no. we have no. established
1: no mm. <sighs>
0: I think it's just, it's all a little too hollow. Like, it's so clearly, let's replicate the first film. Let's amp up the action. Let's put them in skin-tight, wetsuity-type clothes so that we can see them bodies.
1: Ah, this must be some smelly suits.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) Especially if you think of Suzanne Collins' descriptions of how they're just constantly sweating.
1: And they're just moist all the time. So moist.
0: Moist all the time.
1: Speaking moistly.
0: (laughs) Okay, so what is our main takeaway from the film? Do you like any aspects of this or were you kind of like meh?
1: I was pretty meh. I mean, I can understand that if you are someone who enjoys action movies, the action is, I'm sure, good. Like, I didn't have any problem with it. But to me, what was more interesting about Catching Fire than the first book was the politics, the rebellion, mm-hmm. the tension, the anxiety around those pieces. And I felt like the lack of attention to that backstory and the lack of persuasive characterization of even the people we care about, let alone right. these poor victors who are like nothing human mm. beings in the book or the film. It just meant that, yeah, for me, the film, was there's just not enough there. Yeah. There's no there there.
0: No, and the glimpse that we get into the worlds of the other districts.
1: Yes, and some of those scenes are beautiful. I like the District 11 scene a lot. Yes,
0: yes. I actually think that's one of the most effective scenes in the entire film. Agreed, 100% agreed. I think, well, I said that I was content not to have Bonnie and Twill and the mention of District 13. I think it would have been helpful to have seen scenes that replicated what their story is. Yeah. Like we get glimpses of violence like on screens and we get people watching it, but it's always a mediated, almost like removed Mm -hmm. violence. So like the violence that we're seeing in the arena is actually augmented because we can show adults getting murdered so Mm -hmm. we can hold on it a little longer. We don't have to make it blurry, Mm -hmm. but then we're also shown repeatedly. And this is something Hannah asked us to address.
1: Friend of the show, Hannah McGregor.
0: Yeah. She asked us to talk about how much violence people end up watching on screens in this film we're constantly seeing people watching other people uprising get murdered scenes of violence and so on and i think part of it is that the book does a better job of showing how it weighs on katniss how Mm -hmm. she feels responsible for it whereas in the film there's nary a conversation she's always just so concerned about peta That it makes the conflict feel like it's her versus President Snow and the rest of the world doesn't really factor into that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that loses something, right? Because then you've got to make a giant leap into Mockingjay where suddenly she is a figure of a rebellion that affects millions of people's lives.
1: It's sort of striking to me, too, that in the world that the film constructs, how slight the promise of rebellion is. So in the book, we are given all these cues over over and over again, like what the world before maybe was and like what past rebellions have looked like and right. the very idea of District Eleven as this this hopeful space where people are regrouping and mm-hmm. ready to try again, even through uh hardship. And because the film is so interested in focusing on the arena and what happens in the arena, the question of what they are rebelling for. It's it's just this nebulous notion of freedom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what that would look like... This man
0: must be so bad. We must rebel. But it's never clear what are you actually striving for. Because it it really is. It's very much like fist in the air freedom.
1: Yes. And and yes, she is the figurehead. And yes, she is the symbolic leader. And I know that some of this is what Mockingjay is about, right? Who Mm -hmm. is the leader? Who are you trading? Right. But some semblance of a sense of that they've changed so much else in the films in order to try to knit together the narrative right the fact that we see the rebellions happening in the first film in a way that we don't in the first book the way we mm-hmm. get to know more of you know the way that plutarch is playing snow and yet they do all of that without ever thinking that we w- we might want something f- like to kind of philosophically anchor ourselves to
0: yeah as we watch this rebellion unfold I can't help but wonder if that's, I don't want to say a distrust or Mm. it feels like an assumption on the creative team's part to say, this isn't what people want from this narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe realistic, but it's also disappointing. Yeah. I don't get the sense that you could show these films to young audiences and have them understand, okay, so why are these people rebelling? What is it that they actually want? without simply going into that dichotomy of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. Katniss is good, snow is evil, therefore snow must be destroyed.
1: Yeah, agreed. Agreed.
0: That's really disappointing.
1: It is disappointing because I think I have my own problems with these books, but Collins does work really hard to complicate and make more interesting that world.
0: Mm -hmm. Agreed. 100% agreed. Okay, well, I feel like that maybe does it for Catching Fire. I'm interested to know if people had other issues or if they feel like maybe we're not being generous enough with either the book or the film. So I'm really interested to hear what people's perspectives are, particularly because this is a middle entry and it's Mm -hmm. conventionally the hardest to execute well.
1: Mm -hmm. So if you do want to talk to us, nope. (laughs) Nope.
0: Before we do that, though, (laughs) sorry, I jumped, I buried the lead. Let's do some YA bingo. Bingo! Not a good
1: bingo. Okay, Joe, I'm gonna say... Dystopia?
0: No, sorry, that doesn't apply here.
1: <laughs> mediocre white boys.
0: Oh, who are we referring to as mediocre in this case?
1: Peter and Gail continue to be mediocre white boys.
0: <laughs> I was interested to see if you were gonna lump Finnegan with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know enough about him to care, so... <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I just think there's, um... I felt it more acutely in this book. Like, Peta is also a deeply traumatized human being, and we don't get to care about that. No. I really wanted more depth from the depiction of, of his
0: character. Yeah, that's actually a critique, not so much on Pita as a mediocre no. white boy, but rather the way that Suzanne Collins doesn't allow him to become more than a mediocre white boy because her narrative is not concerned with him. Hard agree. Yeah.
1: Did I say CGI?
0: You have not, but oh. I mean, jeez, this is what I come to expect from you.
1: It's so good. Obviously, I'm going to flag the CGI is really excellent. They doubled right. the budget, Joe, and the animals got no better.
0: This is true. Yeah. And also, why do we care if there are monkeys?
1: <sighs> yeah. No, I mean, well, why do we care? I guess that's the problem with the arena scene in general is it seems like it's just like, here's some novelty. Here are some mm-hmm. things we found to torture
0: people with. <laughs> what's gonna be weird blood rain Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, mouthful of blood rain
1: yeah uh dead parents
0: uh okay we're just carrying over from yeah yeah okay
1: mm-hmm. Can I... Can yeah I... <laughs> their parents continue to be dead
0: joe yeah but they're not like as much of an issue in this book i would argue <laughs>
1: dad taught me to hunt <laughs> love triangle obviously yes stunt casting obviously mm-hmm. uh and then unlikely friendships with the ally ships made in the arena
0: This is true, yeah.
1: That's what I get.
0: Okay, I'm going to add in a slutty secondary character. Oh
1: yeah, let's all get naked in an elevator together.
0: Uh, We've got gaslighting because, of course, Katniss is never let in on any of these plans. Mm -mm. Nope. And I'm going to liberally use the definition of abuse to factor in Katniss's trauma. Okay. Unless you have an issue with that.
1: No, also this is just a wildly abusive state, so. Oh, well, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If we want to broaden that out.
1: Should we add rich people problems about the ipecac that they take at the party?
0: Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) That's the little kind of details where I think, you know what? Okay, Collins actually has a very good handle on the details of how this world works.
1: I want more of that and less arena. It's so disgusting. And I love, that's a great moment too for Katniss and Mm Peeta because... mm Katniss thinks of Pete as being closer to the Capitol than not the Capitol because he grew up with an oven, which is so unfair. It's one of those things, right? It's like, again, you're not closer to Elon Musk than a homeless person just because you have a full time job, right? Like, yeah, he is much closer to the people who are being oppressed in District 12 than he is to anything the Capitol. And so it's this important moment for Katniss to realize that
0: there are leaps and bounds that separate us from these people.
1: Yes, and that Peeta is one of the good guys. The poor bastard has to keep proving it to her, like, (laughs) literally every five pages.
0: Oh, God, she's so difficult sometimes. (laughs) Katniss, slow your roll with the judgment, please.
1: (laughs) It's just that moment where he takes the drink and he's about to sip it at the table and everybody's Mm -hmm. like, oh, God, don't do it here. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> although um, how
0: much would i have enjoyed a scene of Peta just puking all over those rich people
1: it would have been good it would have been real real good <laughs> uh, <hello. laughs> oh. but the decadence of the capital is really carefully articulated in this book and less so but still that scene is last into the film right so it's in the yeah. film as well and i think it frustrates me that no one told suzanne collins that that's the part she's real real good at like we didn't need to go back to the arena we could have just like yeah
0: Even like stranding them in the cap. Oh,
1: wouldn't that have been good?
0: Yeah. We should have written this book as well. Nobody
1: ever asks us. (laughs) Simon and Schuster,
0: call me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We will write your Hunger Games prequels, is what we're saying.
1: Oh, Scholastic. It's actually a Scholastic product. Scholastic, call me.
0: Oh, dear. All All right, right, Brenna, take us home.
1: Absolutely. So, folks, if you are sick to death of vomiting in the Capitol, you can (laughs) get in touch with us uh, on the Twitters, hashtag HKHSpod. Joe, how do they get a hold of you if they really want to talk about, oh, I don't
0: know. How good Sam Claflin looks in a skin-tight water suit. Yes, sure. I'm available to be talked to <laughs> at Be Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. Brenna, if people want to talk about how much they love a CGI monkey, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> You're not welcome on my feed. It's at Brenna C. Gray, and that's gray with an A. And if you've got something longer for us, of course, our email inbox is always open, hkhspod at gmail.com. Next week, we will be staying in Suzanne Collins' universe. God, mm-hmm. I hope this has more backstory and less arena, Joe. The fact that we're going back into the arena again next week for this prequel.
0: Yes, What's it keep called? it in the Song capital. Of... Keep it in the capital.
1: Song of spiders and snakes or something?
0: <laughs> the ballad of songbirds and snakes.
1: Oh, yeah. It's real subtle suzanne um i'm just
0: interested to see how they're going to adapt this into a movie because it's already been optioned of course but what are you going to call it the hunger games the ballad of songbirds <laughs> and snakes because that doesn't roll off the tongue
1: <sighs> i could call it the hunger games back to the arena
0: <laughs> <laughs> back to back arena time
1: Good back times. to the past future arena
0: future past okay so folks you have one week to get reading on that we're we're gonna aim to try to finish it we may not make it all the way through but rest assured we will have a non-spoilery section as well as a spoilery section regardless of how we do it we will and then in two weeks Brenna (gasps) we are leaving behind the dystopian world for something brighter and sunnier
1: so happy in two weeks we're going to be talking about the sisterhood of the traveling pants Yes, I
0: programmed this specifically as a palate cleanser. So two <laughs> weeks of dystopia, and then we're going to be spending a bunch of time with female friendships.
1: Yay, my favorite kind of friendships.
0: <laughs> and kind of the most consistently enjoyable text that we have covered of late.
1: It really is true. So it's funny, I was just texting Joe last night that I loved, I loved this book when it first came out. I'm super, super worried.
0: <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> I'm happy to finally put you in that position because I feel like I've been there several times. <laughs> <laughs> you have, it's true.
1: All right, folks. So um, that's your homework. Go get you some new Suzanne Collins and reread Amber Cher's Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And uh, until next time, I will see you on the page.
0: I will see you on the
1: screen.